Welcome to the latest episode of NWRA's Refuge Radio Podcast. I'm Angie Horn. Today, we're pleased to have with us a pioneer in the environmental justice movement, Mr. Guy Williams, president of Detroiters Working for Environmental Justice. It's almost impossible to work in the urban environmental space without encountering Guy, hearing people talk about Guy, and everything that's happening on the ground in Detroit. Our paths have crossed numerous times over the last decade or so, and I'm very excited to have him on this podcast. He'll be interviewed by Joy Blackwood, Urban Refuge Program Director with the Refuge Association in Washington, D.C. Joy, I'll turn it over to you. Thank you, Angie. Good morning, guys. Thanks for joining us this morning. Good morning, Joy. Good morning, Angie. I'm very glad to be here. Thank you. So, Guy, when I think about Detroit and our refuge that we work closest with, which is Detroit River International Wildlife Refuge, I immediately think about the Detroiters working for environmental justice, and I think about you and all the work that you've done and being a green leader right there in the city of Detroit. Can you provide a brief overview of uh, the mission of DWEJ? Oh, I'd be glad to. Um, And just to give you a bit of a, a time frame for our organization. We we call ourselves DWEJ because it's just easier to get that out there with our lengthy name, but we started back in 1994 and we are the original environmental justice group in Michigan. And so our work has evolved over this time, as you might imagine. And at this point, what we're really focusing on is Detroit as a global model of a vibrant urban center. And in that context, everyone here, we want to be thriving environmentally, economically, and socially. And how we get at our work is by championing, being champions for local and national collaborations. And in those collaborations, we try to elevate environmental justice, sustainable redevelopment, and all the while creating cleaner and healthy and safer communities. Um, And, you know, our connection to the wildlife refuge goes all the way back to its earliest formative stages back in 2001. Um, Don Hartig and other conservation leaders were looking for support um, from activists and, and advocates in Michigan to help draw attention to the opportunity. And at that time, actually, I worked, my day job was working for National Wildlife Federation. And so I had been there over 10 years and made a lot of relationships in the conservation community. And so, you know, it was just a natural to start working with John and the others at that time. Uh Um, And then fast forward maybe 10 years, about the 10 years goes by fast, you know, as the, 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 the refuge started to really take form, there became interactions around ownership of land. Some was owned by people from Detroit. It's in the greater Detroit area. It's not literally in the city limits, but it's an easy drive from the city. Right. So we started looking at what are some of the practical opportunities for particularly young people in Detroit to learn more about nature, have outdoor adventures and and the like. And so for us, that's a really important 
having that kind of exposure to anyone, but particularly young people, is really an important part of our vision. Fantastic. So with the work of or the relationship that you had formed with uh, Detroit River, um, were a lot of the young adults volunteering? How, how were they connecting with with the refuge through through your partnership and, and connection? So we actually work with the, the um, refuge and also Nature Conservancy. Uh-huh. And there are there are opportunities for volunteering um, on their properties that are within the refuge. And keep in mind that there was not a lot of physical infrastructure, trails, or buildings, or you know, it's very raw land right. for the most part. Right. So you know that's important to understand that the amenities are only slowly being added to make it a little more easily accessible. So part of the the fun and the extra learning opportunity is because this was so un, unused land, right? Not many people have been hanging out on these properties. And so you would get the um, opportunity to hike in and tag endangered species of plants and learn about the waterfowl because we're right under one of the most major flyways for migratory birds. So um, there's this amazing location on multiple ways. Right, exactly. So this is one of our, so as we uh, continue to showcase and feature all of our model refuges that um, our urban program here at the Refuge Association works with, uh, Detroit River is one of them that is not actually open to the public. However, um, as you had mentioned, you know, it is a refuge that has done a lot of work in building itself and, and adding the right kind of trails and trying to be more accessible to the public. And so we're still working on a visitor center that they open. Hoping to open up this year, um, they've been plagued a lot with with some challenges, but um, the refuge staff are working on that. But they did uh, recently open a beautiful fishing pier. Um, I'm not sure. Have you had a chance, or is any of your partners or or the young adults that you work with as have they had a chance to go back, or are they still helping out in some way uh, with the refuge to see this pier and, and see where they are today in their growth? Well, actually, Joy, you're giving me an opportunity to pivot the conversation to one of the challenges that mm-hmm. we have, which is maintaining um, a resource base to offer the kind of programming that we would prefer having for our young people. And so a fairly recent development about three years ago, much through the initiative of the of uh, Mr. Hartig and his leadership of the, the refuge, there was uh, an effort to start pulling together organizations in the region and coalescing around our shared vision and mission so that we could 
amplify our success around resources. Um, so that has formed in this, to a group called the Metro Detroit Nature Network. Uh-huh. And my organization, DWEJ, is one of the charter members, I'm happy to say. And so That's we awesome. have state state agencies, city park agencies, the, the Natural Resource um, Commission of Michigan, multiple partners all pulling together to elevate the, um, the use of public land, the understanding of the values and opportunities of public lands. And that's been a really encouraging move. And, and again, you know, in the policy world, things tend to move slowly. Right. Um, but we have had some success with some initial um, grants that I believe have helped move forward, for example, the visitor center project that you mentioned. Right. So we feel that by coalescing our collective networks of supporters, our the impact of our organizations and raising the profile of amazing amenities in our area, like the refuge, that this organization is a really great model for other places to use. And so is the, uh, do you see any opportunities for other groups such as the Refuge Association, which is, you know, as Angie had mentioned, we are based here in Washington, D.C., but we do work mm-hmm. um, in various regions throughout the United States. Would there be opportunities for us, for our organization and organizations like us working closely with uh, various federal land management agencies to 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 help support or get actively engaged? Well, I think, I mean, first of all, I'm just very pleased that you've invited me to be part of your your podcast this morning because it's offering me an opportunity to learn more about your organization and its reach. And more on point to answer your question, I would say it could be a very great resource by helping not only myself, but the colleagues in our collective community of of supporters of the refuge to tell our stories. Uh-huh. You know, I think that hopefully maybe we could have a, a regular spot over the next few months or several months to come back and tell different perspectives on how having a, a jewel of a, of a resource like the International Wildlife Refuge right in our backyard has helped coalesce our work and and make it more exciting, you know, for those of us who sometimes are laboring under the radar to have something that's really special and unique and valuable, not only for the animals, but in terms of the way it it functions as a natural system for our, our water quality and so forth here in the Great Lakes. Well, we'd definitely love to um, to have you back. And I know for sure, and Angie can attest to this, um, whereas uh, Kristen, we call him KB, um, but Kristen Barry, who normally runs at, uh, the interviewing of, uh, of this podcast, 
uh, channel. Um, he's always looking for regular spots, and I definitely, here within our urban program, we'd love to have you back and talk more and have um, different shows and spotlights of what's happening on the ground in Detroit. Um, so definitely we would, um, I'll circle back on that one for sure <laughs> after we, uh, after we wrap up this podcast. Um, but, uh, but as I, as I think about, um, where we are, where the refuge is, the, the network now that a, uh, it sounds like it's a, it's a great partnership not only with nonprofits, um, community groups, um, but also national, federal groups. Um, it makes me That's wonder correct. about, great. So it makes me think about the accessibility. And I know there's a lot, a lot of work happening on the transportation side of things. It, and, uh, our uh, program, along with our partners at U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, has a um, what they're calling the Urban Transportation Connection Study, which is they have identified seven refuges um, in, in seven different regions, and Detroit River being one of them, and really looking at some of the transportation uh, maybe opportunities or challenges in order to get uh, more people to the refuge um, and in order to make the refuge more accessible to community. Um, and when I think about Detroit River, one of the opportunities uh, that was identified was maybe even providing a shuttle that a uh, local university and as you mentioned, the refuge is not in the downtown area. We're about, um, I think, 50 miles or so um, from downtown Detroit. But there's a, a local uh, community college and there's a shuttle or a bus stop right at the college, whereas one could actually set up a shuttle service that could bring people back and forth to the refuge. Um, are there other transportation, uh, I guess, uh, projects taking place that make things more accessible to the local city parks and trailways and nature centers such as um, the, the Detroit River uh, Refuge? Well... Actually, you know, you've put your finger on a definite challenge in terms of one of the barriers to success for exposure of a of a, not only the international refuge but other major natural facilities in the greater Detroit area is that the um, the physical accessibility by rail or bus is not easily easily established. And I think this is one of the priorities that can potentially get headway through the network of of regional conversation that we've started. Um, mm -hmm. 
I think right now our main focus has been on supporting the primarily the wildlife refuge itself getting um, resources because it's such a bit of a crown jewel, you might say. Mm-hmm. Yet there are there's a very robust um, land conservation community in Michigan as well. So there are members of that community that are part of our net network. You have environmental organizations such as my own that are part of it because we see the value in make, connecting the dots, if you will, and the, the transport is it going to be an important part of the solution we have to unravel. Okay. So, Guy, with, um, with the network, with uh, Metro Detroit Network Alliance, did I pronounce it correctly? Um, Metro Detroit Nature, Nature, Nature and Network. Nature Sorry. Alliance. Yes. Nature Alliance. Um, so, given that, and I think you would mention the fact that you, this is fairly a new uh, coming together of a, a cross-section of, or cross-sector of groups and voices. Um, have you already gone through some of the growing pains, um, whereas you know exactly what projects now that you're uh, focusing on? You had mentioned about the, one of the primary goals with Detroit River is really trying to provide the resources to to have it be more accessible, more open, or at least have it ready to be open to the general public. Um, and then we also talked about some of the transportation challenges. So one of the things that I would say is rising up as as a focus area, I mean, there are Obviously, you're growing pains when you pull together such a broad array of stakeholders, as I described. However, there are some unique timing opportunities in how, for example, in the city of Detroit itself, there's a major sustainability planning effort going on this year. There's been a newly established Office of Sustainability, and what that is triggering is citywide conversations around all kinds of um, cross-theme impacts of, of programs of the city. So for example, in Detroit, we have roughly 140 square miles, but there are estimates vary somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 to 50,000 open space lots of different sizes. Mm-hmm. You have, there are some areas of the city that have density of rural areas. And so it's creating a lot of conversation about how do we maximize and the benefit of having all this land available? You know, how do we turn it into different types of recreational amenities, how can we potentially start preserving some of it in the manner that some of the suburban areas do with their conservation easements and whatnot. It's a very fertile time of conversation in the city about land, natural space, the benefit of of 
being able to experience natural areas. And so it's creating great opportunity for partnerships with organizations like the Wildlife Refuge, creating field trips. You know, I guess I would say how we're getting at the transportation issue right now is more through special events than from a standing infrastructure like shuttles. Um, So in terms of themes that we're coalescing around, I would say it's a a learning curve for people who have been working in what we call the outstate areas that are more rural and working in partnership with folks like myself who our primary work has been in the city and related to the city. Uh-huh. And and starting to tease out what are what are the commonalities of our experience, our visions, and and our resources. Um, a case in point, for example, is a community neighborhood group on the east side of Detroit called Detroit Community Nature Center. Uh-huh. So it's a group of folks who have a, a dormant, shuttered recreation center in their neighborhood that is literally on the shores of the Detroit River. So they have organized around reviving and taking, basically taking over, their vision is to take over management of this, I believe it's about a 10 acre site and repurpose it into a nature center and place to hold um, classes. They've already been homesteading, you might say, and doing work around rain gardens, planting butterfly gardens and the like, and that allows them to do activities in the summer with youth. And there's also a very interesting array of inlets there that afford opportunities for young people to do fishing learn kayaking, canoeing, and whatnot without being in the direct current of the Detroit River. It's a very fascinating facility. It's like a microcosm of the types of situations you could see at the International Wildlife Refuge. And it just whets the appetite for people to learn and do more. Great. Now, that's, um, as as you were explaining, talking about the Nature Center, and I know that Angie does have uh, a couple of questions for you as well. Um, it, it just makes me wonder what a great model this would be for other cities uh, that we're working with that um, has some of the same kind of uh, maybe challenges or opportunities that Detroit has. Um, but Angie, before uh, I, I I go to the feel good uh, questions that I do have for Guy, um, let me pass the the baton to you to ask a couple of questions as well. Sure, thanks, Joy. Um, one of the really unique things about um, I don't want to get I don't want the international part of this refuge to get lost because the Detroit River is an international boundary. Um, and it is very urban. Um, 
so I have I have one follow up question about um, community connections and 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 another about the sort of international model. Um, so the first one is um, it seems to me that uh, community centers in places like the Outdoor Adventure Center, uh, which is right also right on the Detroit River, are sort of natural touch points again for organizing these trips. And I was wondering, Guy, uh, what your connection is to that that center, um, and if there's a refuge component or how is the development of that center coming along? Because the, when I visited it, it had just opened. So I'm a little curious from your point of view to see how uh, that center has, has grown um, and what your, your organization's relationship to it is, if there is any. Oh, that, you know, that's a great question, Angie. I'm glad you brought it up because um, for those of you who don't know, the Michigan Department of Natural Resources redeveloped an abandoned warehouse on the shores of the Detroit River near downtown Detroit and also adjacent to one of the, I believe, one of the very few urban state parks, uh, the Millican State Park. Um, so this facility, first of all, it's a great demonstration of readiness and it's helped spur more development, like there's a very active trail system now, the river walk on one side and the Sequinder Cut goes right by the front door of this outdoor nature center or adventure center it's called. And so interestingly for me, we've actually had our 20th anniversary celebration there. It's been a very great convening because it's a facility that has a lot of exhibits. Their idea was to help people who live in the city come through and tour in a museum type style, I think of it, and experience the types of elements of outdoor living in Michigan that exist in other parts of the state. So it's about a three-story building. They have some exhibits that are three stories tall and all different themes. It's amazing how they've brought that building to life. And they also have great meeting space there. So it's become a very active uh, convening center. Many of the sister organizations we work with have hosted community meetings there. And the accessibility is really great because you can ride your bike there. There's plenty of parking if you drive there. It's, an, it's literally across the street from the state park. You can even bring your boat there because there's a marina that's there. So I think, you know, what, What's happened there is the activation of a part of the city that was abandoned and part of the legacy of the Rust Belt manufacturing has been invigorated and brought back to life featuring nature. It's, it's been very successful. Yeah, and if you, uh, for our listeners and for Joy, um, <laughs> next time you're in Detroit, <laughs> Uh, if you're looking for an urban outdoor experience, this place is, uh, it's remarkable. There's even a, a I believe, a, a, an old uh, DNR plane that they have suspended from the ceiling that you can actually walk on a catwalk and sit inside the, the plane. Um, Absolutely. It's, uh, it's, it, it's an amazing space. There's all kinds of, um, you know, they have uh, um, simulators where you can pretend you're riding a trail in rural Michigan. I mean, it's just, it's, it's wonderful. Um, so thank you for that, Guy. Um, 
So well, I'll be in Detroit is, at the end of the month, Angie. <laughs> well, there, there you go, Joy. <laughs> um, yeah. And the meeting spaces are terrific. Uh, the beautiful view um, over the river into into Canada as well. Um, while while you're while you're meeting up there. So, um, so speaking of Canada, <laughs> uh, because this is uh, an international refuge, I believe it's the only one, and it just happens to be in an urban area, which is lovely. Um, I'm wondering. Uh, how many opportunities there have been to actually uh, talk to the Canadian Wildlife Service and any groups that they're working with? Like, I'm wondering from their point of view, what their connectivity issues are, how they get people, how they get Canadians on the other side of the river to the refuge. Um, and if there are lessons or, or if there's any like coordination between all these groups, local stakeholders, uh, to figure out how to connect people or if it's more siloed. And how would you like to see that relationship um, grow closer? Well, I'm going to pick up on your closing question because I would say that is also an area of growth, maybe a growth edge, as we say in our leadership training, where there's cordial relationships, to my knowledge, but there's not a lot of vigorous teaming between the organizations right now. And I think partly for the, the nature network, it's just been trying to get itself formed and, and clearing out its agenda, focusing and so forth. So that could be a new frontier for that larger conversation. But I know even for groups like mine, back 20 years ago, we tended to do a lot more direct work with activists in Windsor, which is directly across the river. And that's something that's not been as vibrant in the last 10 years or so. So, I mean, your question brings up a good point, but I, I think that it's a, there's a lot of room for improvement there right now. Well, that's hopeful. <laughs> that's there's something to that's, work I was just about to say, yeah, it, it, it leaves some great opportunity or hope for, for our organization and the work that we're doing and some of the partnerships that, uh, you know, we're, we're beginning to cultivate. So, um, on a more feel good site. Uh, so we have National Wildlife uh, Refuge Week coming up next month. And our campaign series as we uh, close out of featuring um, all 14 of our designated urban refuges, we're also going to be just trying to do a spotlight and highlight and showcase of um, a lot of pioneers, a lot of just regular folk out there, you know, folks that um, sort of like you meet on the street, you don't quite know, but you ask a question too. Um, and that is to just kind of get people's sense of what the world, what the word refuge or the words urban wildlife refuge or wildlife refuge means to them. So. When you hear either of those words, what immediately comes to mind? For me, what comes to mind, um, the notion of a protected space overall, and more specifically, protected space for animals. And what I've learned through working with the international Detroit River International Wildlife Refuge is it's also a protected space for plants and fish or, you know, aquatic 
animals. And so, um, yeah, I think you probably wanted a short answer. (laughs) (laughs) We forgot people, Guy. We forgot people. (laughs) But uh, final question, because I just love to ask this question, because every time, you know, I think about my childhood or really where I come from, um, you know, coming from England, always having the opportunity to just be outdoors, even though I grew up in a city or an urban area. Um, What's the one thing um, about engaging or connecting with nature that kind of still brings the kid out of you? And as I said, this is more of your kind of feel-good moment. What's that one thing that that you kind of get that feel-good? Oh, you know, I was just out with a friend recently, and uh, there was a bridge over the Huron River that we were near. I'm like, let's go look at the river. I love the running water. You know, what what brings back out the kid in me is being in the in the woods where there's water running through, like a, a creek or a stream. Some of my fondest memories as a child, um, I grew up in Maryland, uh-huh. um, in the Chesapeake Bay region, and so there was a lot of forests and naturally occurring creeks here and there, and that where I really enjoyed my time. Ah, oh, fantastic. I tell you, I I just love that sound, too. That, that, you know, when you just kind of stand quietly and you just hear the breeze hit against the water as it flows. <laughs> yeah. It's a wonderful, wonderful whisper that you get, right? <laughs> Fantastic. And on that note, I will just kind of pass the baton uh, one last time to Angie to. Hopefully, Angie, if you have any kind of final thoughts, words of inspiration um, to kind of close us out. But um, but I do want to say thank you, Guy, um, for, for giving us the chance and giving me the chance to spend a little time with you this morning. Well, it's my pleasure. Really appreciate it. Great. And Angie, thanks, Guy. Um, yeah, I have... Um... Actually, I like to, we like to ask one question of everyone we interview, which is, what is a question you wish we had asked you? Wow. <laughs> I well, wish is there anything you need me. to plug? Let's put it that way. <laughs> is there yeah, anything yeah. you want the audience to know that you're working on? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I already got in my shameless plug about the sustainability action agenda in Detroit. But I, I just want people to know how powerful the movement for justice and natural resources is in Detroit and how there's so much convergence around the need for clean water and access for clean water in our state. And um, that is something that if you're people who pray, we would definitely welcome your prayers around that. And in a practical sense, we just need money. So when uh, when the federal folks put together their infrastructure bill coming up this year, we need some really good provisions around drinking water protections. 
that's my shameless plug for today. Well, that's a good one. Uh, and that's a good segue into um, something that I'd like to remind everybody who's listening, which is that, um, you know, if you're feeling down about the environment or you're not happy with the way things are going, there are always organizations like uh, Detroiters Working for Environmental Justice in your own backyard. There's always an opportunity to be of service and to volunteer. And I would encourage everybody um, to get involved locally because that's really, um, that has the most effect on your daily life. And whether it's an urban refuge or a park or a creek, um, there's just always something that can be done. And, um, you know, if you take a little time out, um, you can contribute to that. So um, that's it for this episode of Refuge Radio. I want to thank Guy again for joining us and Joy for being our interviewer. And we have a couple great episodes coming up after this. But um, next time you're in Detroit, uh, make sure you visit the Detroit River and the Wildlife Refuge and the Outdoor Adventure Center. Thank you.